Thank you very much. And yeah, I guess I would like to also extend my, my thanks to all the volunteers that just make this place run so well. We're very, very fortunate. Uh, yeah, my name is Kyle, and I look after the generations for the church here. Um, so if I... Oh, yeah. It's like the most encouraging hecklers over here. It's good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, welcome everyone. We're so glad that you'll join us on this weekend. Um, just letting you know, out in the foyer, there are these booklets which you can use for your life groups if your life groups are starting up soon. Uh, the booklets we had, I think, 50 of them printed last week. So if you grabbed one of the 50 last week, I'm letting you know there was just uh, a multitude of typos, which um, the, the very, very kind Gordon came and told me all about on Monday. Um, and when he started opening the first couple pages, I was like, okay, there's one or two. And then as he kept on going and pointing it out, typos on every page, I was like, okay, there's a few. Uh, so if you've got one of those 50, those are collector's items. Um, do not share them with people who can read and know grammar because they'll be disgusted. Uh, but we now have relatively typo-free ones out in the foyer. And then also, yes, and also if you downloaded last week's one as well, you also have a collector's item. The new one online should be somewhat typo-free. Um, but welcome everyone, we're very, very glad to have you here. Um, as you are I'm sure aware, we are in our More Than Able series. This is the second week of the More Than Able. Um, I spoke uh, last week um, and the week before actually. They said I have to keep doing it until I get it right. So, sorry guys, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? This is, this is me learning to play the drums. Um, but we're continuing our theme of more than able, and uh, we're into our, our second week, and there'll be four weeks all up, and this is sort of setting us up for the year. Our, our, our theme for the year is more than able, but it, it fits right within our vision of our church, which is to build disciples who represent Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything. And so this theme isn't derailing our vision, it is actually just adding juice to the vision, and so we're quite excited about that. Um, one of the ways... Uh, as we continue this theme of more than able, uh, one of the ways in which we begin to appreciate and understand God, or what God is capable of doing, is to actually look back in history and see uh, how God has worked, uh, how faith has changed the world, and how Jesus has shaped society. Um, Peter Bunton, in his article on how Christianity changed the world, he writes this, It is not an idea which brings change, but it is God transforming people who then reflect who God is to the world. So it's not an idea that changes the world, but it is God transforming people who then reflect who God is to the world. So God is not powerless, God is not motionless, and his, and his presence in his followers continues to shape the world to this day. God is not this, uh, I guess, abstract or hypothetical concept. We do not worship and follow a theory uh, but God is active in making changes in everyday life in this world. And I think, I think sometimes our, our thinking can get a bit uh, disjointed, um, or to put in, in corporate speak, sometimes our thinking gets a bit like siloed. Um, I wanted to, like last week I had some balloons on stage, um, and I wanted to somehow try and make these circles on stage, but literally blowing up balloons is the extent of my handiwork. So I couldn't make this into a, like a big stage thing, but these, these circles are up there. So we, we see things as individuals often rather than parts of a, of a whole. When we think about ourselves, sometimes when we think about the church, and when we think about ourselves and the church within the greater context of the community and then the church in the context of the world around us, and when we think of God's eternal plan that sort of encompasses all of this. And sometimes 
unfortunately, we sort of think of these parts just as individual pieces when really they make sense when they're placed within the whole thing. Um, it's a bit like, uh, I guess, an ecosystem, um, like within a brand. You know, sometimes you've got like a, a watch and a phone and a laptop and individually they all do sort of what you want them to do. They all work in the way that you want them to work. But most brands have like a, an ecosystem within them that allows these devices to do more together than when they're apart. They, they speak to each other and they work in a way that sort of maximizes all the functions of the devices in a way that they can't do when they're just isolated and, and on their own. And, and that isn't a perfect analogy for what I'm speaking on today, but it does give a bit of an understanding of what I'm hoping to, to bring about. And so I'll be speaking um, from our core scripture that we're using throughout this series, and that's found in Ephesians 3. Uh, I'm going to read the whole section that we're using over the four messages, just so you get a bit of a fuller picture of uh, what I'm hoping is passed on. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 21. I'm reading from the NLT. Ephesians 3, 6 through 21. And this is what it says. And this is God's plan. Both Gentile and Jew who believed the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving, uh, serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would continue to minister to us. Um, Lord, even as we just read your scripture, um, even without commentary on it, even as we just read your scripture out loud, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be using the worship and the communal time together and the message um, and just your Holy Spirit um, tapping on our hearts to, uh, to make us more like you, to make us into uh, image bearers and people that proclaim the good news of Jesus. Uh, so Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would have uh, hearts that are willing to change as we um, listen to your word. Amen. Amen.
So the first thing that I would like to dig in here specifically um, and is this question of why would we believe that God is more than able to use us? Again, we're going through this theme of more than able, and I guess it begs the question of why would we believe that God is more than able to use us or you? Um, again, our theme is more than able, and this is a four-part series, um, and we're look I'm introducing this theme by like, spending some time looking at why we would actually believe that God is more than able. And if we believe that God is more than able, what are the implications then for us and for our church? Uh, last, last week I spoke about um, the, that we have a reason to actually believe in the capabilities of God. And today I want to talk about the fact that we have a reason to believe that God is able more than able to use us as individuals and more than able to use us as a church. And so I've got this question. Why would we believe that God is more than able to use us? I think we get a glimpse of what God is wanting to do in verses 19 and 20. And they read this. May you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able to do His mighty uh, to do His mighty uh, through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You'll be made complete. You'll have fullness of life, power, powerful work within us. That is God working in us. And last week I spoke about how how God is the only one capable of bringing uh, us back from our brokenness and incompleteness. And I wonder if we believe that God is power, uh, capable of like empowering us and bringing us back from brokenness and making us complete and whole, then I wonder if we are also willing to take the next logical step and believe that God can make us into something that is usable in his eternal plan. Think of that outer ring of circles, that eternal plan that covers everything. I wonder if you think we think that, hey, God can heal me and redeem me, but more than that, God can actually use me in his eternal plan. Now, let's check out a passage from 1 Corinthians. Sorry, there's a few verses in here, but I want to read through all of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. It says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are saved, we who are uh, redeemed and healed by God, know that it is the very power of God. As scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the, uh, the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom sought that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching. So yes, good news, foolish preaching to save the day, to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews to ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ is crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. But, the, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that this world considers foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by this world, things counted as nothing, and used them to bring, uh, used them to, bring to nothing what the world considers important. 
As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. Christ made us pure and holy. Christ freed us from our sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And so this passage in 1 Corinthians is written by Paul. And Paul wrote a large majority of the Bible. Uh, And this passage that I just read out, it speaks of weak things. It speaks of small things. It speaks of broken things. It speaks of foolish things. It, It says all of these things will be used to bring salvation to the world. And so most of you who have grown up in uh, church, that have gone to like kids' church and Sunday school and all those things are, are, are aware, you're familiar of who the Apostle Paul is, uh, formerly known as Saul. But I want to give you a little rundown of Paul's conversion story, just to give you a picture of what God is capable of doing. So Paul, um, this is uh, the first earliest photograph of Paul. Um, he is a He's a high-level. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, he's a high-level religious leader. Um, so back in the day, he's formerly known as Saul. That was his uh, name, no name to start with. Um, he's this high-level religious leader, but not religious in the way that we would probably hope for, in the sense that he's not a Christian. In fact, he is one that is very much convinced that Christianity is this new upstart that needs to be deleted from society. Saul was present at the very first killing of a Christian leader uh, at the stoning of Stephen in Scripture. It says that Stephen was stoned and killed, and Saul was there watching on, and he approved of it. In fact, the people that stoned Stephen came and laid their cloaks at the foot of Saul. And then Saul goes on this rampage, uh, looking to destroy as many church gatherings as possible. And he's trying to stamp out this new band of Jesus followers. And during one of these trips, it talks about how much zeal he had as well. During one of these trips to destroy a new church, Paul is met by the very power and the very presence of Jesus. It is described as this flash of light and this voice crying out saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the voice identifies itself as Jesus, who you are persecuting. And so over the course of the next few days, Saul is convinced of the legitimacy of Christianity and the message that is preached by the Jesus followers. Saul is healed of his blindness that came from the the flash, this encounter of light. He is baptized and he immediately starts preaching the good news, the message of Jesus. Saul had dual names, which is normal back in those days, and now he becomes better known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul spoke the gospel to everyone he met from that time on. He preached, he wrote letters, he founded churches, he organized funds to support churches, and he changed the face of the world. Paul was a new man because of what God was able to do in him and through him. And now C.S. Lewis, uh, I'm sure again you guys are quite familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the greatest Christian thinkers and writers, and he actually talks about his own conversion. Um, in his book, and he talks about how it was this slow conversion, and then there was this sheer joy of surprise once he accepted Christ. Um, in his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis retells the night of his salvation, and this is what he says. Um, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, so God, 
I felt the steady, unrelenting approach of God, who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had come at last upon me. In 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. That is how one of the greatest thinkers and writers of Christianity today describes his conversion. C.S. Lewis goes on to say in his book that as an atheist, so someone who does not believe in God, as an atheist, you have to guard your belief, you have to guard your atheism very carefully. If you do not believe in God, you need to be very careful about what you read, how closely you look at creation, at art, at beauty, the gift of joy, life, the encounters you have with other people. He says, a young man who, who desires to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles laid open, millions of surprises. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. I tell this story of C.S. Lewis because it is a story of a man who did not want to be known as a follower of Jesus. But God chased him down with an overwhelming joy and an overwhelming love. And the result of this is a person who is empowered by God to become one of the most influential thinkers and writers of the last few hundred years. And anyone who has done Alpha, as we talked about earlier in the announcements, anyone who does the Alpha or knows about Alpha knows of Nicky Gumbel, the man who created Alpha. So Nicky was studying to be a lawyer, um, I think in England at the time, and he himself was a, a, a devout atheist. Like he was an ardent, very outspoken atheist. Um, and he thought, hey, I'm a lawyer, uh, and lawyers need to do their research when they're presenting arguments, so he should do a bit of reading of the Bible to make himself familiar with the very thing that he was very excited to prove wrong. Big mistake, as C.S. Lewis said, there's traps everywhere. And so, as he read through the New Testament, this is how he describes it. I was enthralled. It was as if I found what I had been looking for my whole life. So Nicky Gumbel goes on to create what is arguably the most successful evangelism tool in recent years. So Alpha runs in 169 different countries. There's over 100 different languages that it's produced in. There's been over 20 million participants worldwide. God desires to use people to share the good news of Jesus. And we can come up with all the right reasons as to why we are not the right person or why it's not the right time or why it's not going to work or whatever sort of thing you want to insert into that space. But at the end of the day, if we look back at the stories from history, we see God transforming lives of every single type of person possible. There is no one who is too far from God, too far from his grasp that God cannot transform that God cannot empower with his Holy Spirit for us to do a great work in the kingdom. Like you think that you've done bad things. You think that your family member or your friend or your colleague, your colleague is too despicable, too into the life of sin to be rescued by God. Well, what about going around killing Christians? Are your colleagues going around killing Christians? I hope not. My colleagues aren't, which is great for me. Um, I figure if God can reach into the Apostle Paul's heart, and restore it, then God is more than able to do that for the person that you're thinking of. You think maybe you're too emotionally or intellectually walled off to be reached by God. 
more emotions than an old man who describes himself as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England, more intellectually walled off than a lawyer reading through the Bible for the purposes of debunking it. And if God is able to reach into the hearts of these people, and God is able to turn their lives around so much that they become pillars of Christianity for years to come, influential voices that change the way people understand and meet Jesus, not because they wanted it, but because God was able, more than able, to do it through them. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't just work in, in us as a person, like individuals, but God actually works within a group of people as well. Ephesians 3, it says this, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So God had a plan to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. Um, so one way of understanding this section um, is explained by Richard Koken in uh, Ephesians for, for You commentary. And he says this, the manifold wisdom of God, which is mentioned in those verses, is this complex brilliance of his salvation plan. The phrase conjures up images of an intricately embroidered, magnificent tapestry or the multifaceted beautiful of a priceless diamond. This beautiful wisdom of God in the gospel is displayed for all the powers in the spiritual realms to see in the rich diversity, the rich diversity of the local church. Every local church is God's trophy cabinet. One of the most powerful arguments for truth of the gospel for skeptical unbelievers is that the same Lord Jesus is worshipped by all kinds of people gathered in all kinds of churches all over the world. Islam, Buddhism, atheism do not tend to thrive in all cultures, but the same gospel of Christ is celebrated by Christians of every nation and cultural background. So there's this one reading of this passage where we understand that the church itself is seen as this wise move by God, because God knows what the church is capable of showing and capable of doing when it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, the church proves that God knows better than worldly wisdom, because the church, in, all, in spite of all the reasons why it shouldn't work, works. People are just too different. Ages don't mix. Races don't mix. Tax brackets don't mix. People don't want to give up precious time on weekends to speak to their imaginary friend. You know, you need to have a product to sell, otherwise your organization is going to fail. But strangely enough, the church is able to overcome these differences, these barriers, these problems in every single culture around the world and every country around the world time and time again. And why is that? It is because God is more than able to use broken people who rely on God and trust in God. And when these broken people gather together, God is able to do through them the things that we think is never possible. God is able to show his own character through us. We, as a church, show God's character. And then there's another way to understand these verses, and that is by understanding wisdom in the form of Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, it says this, But those who called to, by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of humans' plans, and God's weakness is stronger 
than the greatest of human strengths. So wisdom is also Jesus himself. And the purpose of the church is to display the wisdom of God. The purpose of the church is to project wisdom, to project Jesus. So um, think of, of, of Christmas time uh, just last year uh, when we had those videos of people singing Christmas carols. Uh, we had uh, videos of the kids' church uh, doing, uh, telling like the nativity story. And we projected those videos onto the walls of the church. That is what the church is made to do, to project Jesus so that anyone who encounters the gathered body of believers encounters the story of Jesus. We are meant to project Jesus. And God is more than capable and more than able to use this body to represent his son. So I want, to take you, I want you guys to take a moment just to think about this. God the Father uh, views it as a good plan for us, the church, to be representatives of his son. So think about that. I want you to think about this. So any of you who have children, uh, imagine you have a son, a, perf a perfect son even, the best boy. And instead of your boy standing up there and representing himself to society, an odd group of people that are chosen to represent your son instead of him to society. Now, you don't really have control over who this odd assortment of people is because the invitation is open to any and all who accept it. And once they accept it, they get to represent your son. For better or for worse. Does that sound like a good idea? It's a crazy plan. It's like even with my son's classmates, even with Walt's classmates, I hope they don't watch this, but like seriously, I don't want his reputation being locked in with those group of boys. Like I've seen them at school drop off, at school pickup. Like it's not premium beef in that shop. Like there's some NQR products within that bunch. Within that bunch of groceries, there's, there's, some, there's some dents on some cans, I'm telling you. And to think that they would represent my son, come on, is that a good idea? No. Like, Pastor Panin and I have had a chat with a friend, and we're trying to convince him to buy a dog, and he's not very keen. Uh, but, but Pastor Panin keeps on saying, if you had my dog, if you met Watson, like, if you met Watson, then you'd get a dog. Like, then you'd understand. Like, this one, he's a good boy. He's a good dog. But the problem is, his dog, Watson, isn't the only dog that this person has met. This person has met lots of dogs. And some of these dogs are mutts, you know? So why, what, what, you know, why would God use you? <laughs> no offense. <laughs> why would God use us? I should say it that way. Why would God use us to represent his son? Does that sound like a good plan to you? Because I don't want Walt's classmates representing him. Don't pass it on, please. But yet, but yet, God chooses to use the church to represent his son. You know why? Because God is more than able to use the foolish. God is more than able to use the weak. God is more than able to use the broken. God is more than able to use the rejected. God is able to use more, more than able to use the anxious. God is more than able to use the confused. God is more than able to use the church because God is able to show a story of acceptance and restoration through his church. 
God can show the power of Jesus, the transforming nature of the gospel, the healing touch of the Holy Spirit, all through the gathered church. And the gathered church is not this stagnant bunch of people. The church has been pushing out the walls of the building since day one. The church has been tra- uh, transforming presence of society since the day it began. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this section, but throughout history, the church is responsible for the large majority of hospitals, orphanages, prison reform, charities, not-for-profits like Oxfam, Salvation Army, Samaritans, RSPCA, and many more. Also included in this is a large amount of community player groups, uh, schools, lunch clubs, mentoring, food banks, free counseling, late-night care for people living rough. Uh, in one of the studies I read, it is estimated that the time given by a church, uh, by a church volunteers in, the, in just the city of New York was worth $8.8 billion in a single year. The time given by church volunteers in the state of New York in one year was estimated to be worth $8.8 billion. Uh, in the UK, from 2015 to 2016, the Cinnabon Network calculated that the time given by church and faith groups to, to the communities uh, was worth $3 billion a year in the UK in 2015 to 2016. $3 billion a year it was worth to them in time and talents. The world has been shaken to its core by the church. There is barely, if any, section of society, any part of the world, any way of understanding life that has not been impacted by the church. So do not let people make you feel stupid for coming to church. Do not make them let them make you feel silly for being connected and a part of a church. Do arm yourself with an understanding of what the church has done in shaping the world of today. So why would we believe that God is more than able to use us to build disciples and to grow his kingdom and to bring glory to his name? Well, simply because God has been using people for thousands of years to do those very things. From the very, very first converts that we read about in the Gospels to our mothers and fathers that we have to thank for carrying us into our faith, God has shown that he is more than able to fulfill his eternal plan through the people and through the church. Now, why would we believe that God is more than able to use us? The church, to show his wise plan, to represent his son to the world. Well, simply because God has been using the church for thousands of years to do those very things. From the very first churches planted by the apostles and the disciples, to the very first church planted in Australia, to this church that someone has walked into today for the very first time. We believe that God is more than able because he has proven more than able. We believe that God is more than able because God has told us his plan in the Bible and that we believe and trust in the Bible. We believe that God is more than able because history is littered with stories of God being faithful and true, revealing his eternal plan through humanity. So I want to finish off with this thought. Uh, Throughout this morning, I've been using uh, sort of this circly thing, this analogy uh, to represent us and the church in this image of circles within circles. And I think it's a helpful picture of sort of how things tend to, tend to move. But I want to draw your attention to one thing. I want to point out what happens when we decide to not play our part in God's eternal plan. So what do you think happens when we decide to not let Jesus rule all parts of us? We use language in this church uh, to say that God is on the throne. We, we say in this church that God is on the throne uh, in our lives. 
uh, that we are representing Jesus with everything. But what happens when we choose back, uh, choose to hold back from giving Jesus his rightful place as king and ruler of our lives? A, a gap appears. The circuit stops conducting because the wires have stopped touching. I assume that's how it works. I don't know. The signal, the signal stops going through. When we choose to keep ourselves as rulers of our own lives, we make a gap in the process by which God is making himself known to the world. But maybe, maybe we do have Jesus on the throne in our hearts, but we choose not to engage and participate in the local church. We choose not to interact with other church members. We choose not to participate in the work of the church. We choose not to join in any of the ministries. We choose not to support the church financially. We choose not to pray for the church. We step away from an integral part of being connected to a gathered body of believers. And when we do that, a gap appears. The pathway no longer makes its way to the destination. It's like in those movies when people come to this huge ravine or this huge river and the bridge has fallen away and they, they're trying to figure out how to get to the other side. The path to the other side has been deleted when we choose not to participate in the local church. And then maybe we do participate in the local church and are, are, helpful, uh, are being helpful in building up the body of Christ by using our gifts and by using our calling. But the church has stepped away from its calling to reflect Jesus to the community that it finds itself in. The church decides that it's better off focusing on itself. We don't really want newcomers walking through our door. We don't really want to interact with people down the street or join in with other churches for community events. We don't really want to go to the Clayton Festival because it's at the end of the day. You know, they have different priorities to us. Uh, and we'd rather sit in circles and just rub each other's backs and, and quote scripture to each other. Yeah, for God so loved you. For God so loved you. For God so loved me. Yeah, oh, good, good job, guys. Good job. And if we do that, you know, we, we have everything we need right here, guys. You know, we have everything we need right here. You know, and if we open our door, who knows what type of people are going to walk through. If we do that, this gap appears. I want us to truly trust that God is able and willing to work through us, through each and every one of us. I want us to truly trust and believe that God is willing and able to work through our church with all its flaws, with all its blemishes. We know our church is not perfect, and guess what it is never going to be? God wants to use our people. God wants to use our church in his eternal plan. It was his plan from the beginning to use this odd assortment of people to represent his son. That was his plan from the beginning. The plan that the world thinks is foolish, but God will make wise because God is more than able to do the work in us. And I don't want us to just believe that. I want us to act on it. I want us to play our part. I want us to play our part in letting God do his mighty work in us, which is what we are going to be talking about in the next few weeks. I want us to play our part in being an active participant in the life of our church. I want us to play our part in being a church that projects the good news of Jesus to the gospel. And again, we're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks. Do not underestimate your role in all of this. Do not underestimate how important it is that you participate in God's eternal plan. You are significant. You are vital. 
You are designed by God to be more than just a fly on the wall on the wall or a bum to warm a seat. You are designed for more than just being here. God made you and he loves you and he wants to work through you. So let's trust in God's eternal plan that might seem crazy and foolish to the world, but history has shown that time and time again that God uses people. People like you, people like you, people like you, people like you to unroll his eternal plan of bringing people to the saving nature of Jesus Christ.